So, Father God, we set ourselves 100% in agreement, and we settle the fact that all is well in our lives. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, come on, say amen. amen. Come on and give God a hand clap of praise for that one more time. Well, welcome to World Changes Church Houston. We're glad that you made it out on today. Let's get ready to dive right into the word. Uh, you may be seated. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. You are free to do all that you plan to do on today. I thank you, Father, that it is you doing the thinking, you doing the speaking, and me just simply doing the yielding so that your will may be done. And I give you all the glory, honor, and praise for the victory that will come as we further share about your gospel, this gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, if you're expecting it to receive, then say amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 14, 27. We've been spending a little time there. We want to continue on in our message uh, series. We are the righteous. Say that with me as a matter of fact. Say, I am the righteous. Now, you're no longer a sinner. Amen. Not if you're saved. Not if you've accepted uh, what Jesus did for you on the cross. You don't have to, uh, this thing about I'm a sinner saved by grace. How I many guys know that's a contradiction? You say, but yeah, but I've, I've committed an act of sin, but that doesn't still make you a sinner. And we're going to show you some things uh, in the word of God on that today. But you are saved. You're saved from the penalty of sin. You're saved uh, from being a slave to sin. That's the whole reason why Jesus went up on that cross was to deliver you and to also make you right with God. Now, Jesus talks a little bit about this in uh, John 14, uh, 27, when he was speaking with the disciples, he had just told them, he's in the process of telling them about him leaving, and he had just talked about sending the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, and then he says, after that, in verse 27, I am leaving you with a gift. What does it say right there after that? Peace of what? Peace of mind and of heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or be afraid. Now we've been studying that out for the last several weeks and we've discovered that that fact, uh, discovered the fact that that peace is not just talking about this general harmony or this general oneness, but it's specifically talking about what it says right there. This is a peace in our minds. This is an assurance that we are not only saved, but are right with God. And Jesus is saying, listen, I already have that peace. I've already passed this test, and as a result of me dying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass this same peace, pass this same result over to you. Now, it's interesting because the rest of that definition of that word, when you look it up, it not only talks about peace of mind and an assurance, but then it says, fear, therefore, fearing no punishment from God. So this part that says, so don't let your heart be troubled or be afraid, he's not saying don't be troubled or be afraid just from worldly situations. He's saying you have an assurance because of what I'm going to give you, this gift I'm going to give you, you will be assured that you're saved, you will be assured that you're right with God, this will all take place in your mind, and this other thing is going to need to take place in your mind too, where you're no longer scared of God. Why would somebody be scared of God? Well, you have to remember what was happening during this time, during this time before the uh, covenant of grace went into effect. People couldn't just walk up into God's presence. 
If you had sin in your life and you were not of the priestly line, uh, you could not walk into God's presence without dying. That's just how it was set up. That's how it was. You would go to, go to a tabernacle. Once a year, the priest would do a, a sin sacrifice. He had to be cleansed, and then he would go into the presence of God and make that sacrifice. But how many of you guys know that when that priest would go into the presence of God, they used to wrap a rope around them? Anybody know why they would wrap that rope around them? Because if something wasn't right in a priest's life, they would be listening and, and they'd And they pull them back on out. So you couldn't just walk up into God's presence. You, you had to be right and you had to be a certain way. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am now becoming your sacrifice. I am now going up as your high priest. And I am going to settle the account between you and God so now you will be assured that you can come into his presence. As one scripture says, you will be able to boldly go before the throne of grace and ask for help in a time of trouble. So he's saying you don't have to be afraid anymore that you're no longer qualified. You don't have to be afraid anymore that you're not of the right bloodline. You don't have to be afraid anymore that there may be something going on. Not, not, you may have error in your life. He's saying, I'm settling this thing between you and God, and now you're going to have the same peace, the same right that I have. I am now giving it to you. If you understand that, say amen. amen. Okay, let's go to John 16, 33. John 16, 33. I'm just doing a little recap. Jesus said, I have told you all of this so that you may have what? Peace. Now, how do we have peace? He says, in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, some people will read this, and if you in, uh, don't rightly divide it, you will think that Jesus is actually going against what he said. Wait, I thought he said I, have, I was going to have peace. Again, this is an assurance, an assurance in your mind that you're right with God and that you no longer have to fear punishment from God. Jesus never said that there wouldn't be stuff that happens. So that alone lets you know this peace is not talking about a freedom from trial or a freedom from struggle that may try to come up. What he's saying is, is that when the trial and if the struggle comes, you can, number one, know that it's not God doing it because you're good with God. And then he says, and don't, be a, don't worry about that because I've overcome the world. I've overcome whatever the world may try to throw at you. It's defeated. I said it's defeated. If you got sickness in your life, it's defeated. If you got brokenness in your life, it's defeated. If you have poverty in your life, it's defeated. The question is, is do you believe? So we got the peace of Jesus. We are right with God. And anything, when it comes to being saved, has to start off with that understanding. Because how many of you guys know your life is not just about, and I'm going to say something radical, just being saved? That's part of it, and that's a huge part of it. But how many of you guys know there is life and things to do after you're saved? But many Christians live their entire life trying to get saved and then trying to stay saved. And that becomes the sum total of our lives. 
But if we can learn who we are in Christ, if we can learn what Jesus did when he gave us his peace, we would discover not only the responsibility, but the joyous life that comes after you're saved. Many people get hung up on this and stuck because of this part, the A part in the scripture right here, when he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Many people think that their peace comes not from just Jesus, but it comes from my good works and my ability to stay right with God. And when we get caught into that trap, it becomes like a merry-go-round or a, what's that, um, I think it's, what's that thing in the park is like a merry-go-round, but the kids get on it and they sit and they spin on it. Carousel, yeah. If you ain't careful, you'll fly off of it. You get on this carousel of this thing and you're holding on because it's just going round and round and round and you're just trying to get right and be right and get right and be right and get right and be right. And every now and then you get thrown off and then you hop back on and then you just hold on and then you get thrown off and you get back on. And, and that becomes your life and God is saying, no, there's something greater, there's something better. It's not about your effort. You got to get off the carousel and you got to live. Well, why would I get off the carousel? How do I get off the carousel? That's what we want to talk about today. I'm going to attack this from a different angle, however. We've talked about this a little bit on Thursdays, and I want to show you something. It's a very, and we talked about it a little bit last week, it's a very famous, I don't know, idea or even doctrine that has been taught from the pulpit incorrectly. And that is, what does it mean to fall from grace? How many of you guys have ever heard about falling from grace? Now, how many guys have heard that falling from grace means specifically, well, people think it means specifically that I get into so much sin or perform this unpardonable sin, and as a result, what I end up doing is making God angry, and then he cuts me off. Anybody ever heard that that way? Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, you better not do that, you know, because if you do that, you're going to fall from grace, and then as a result, God's going to cut you off, and you're going to go to hell. So you better get right. You better live right. You better stay right. Anybody ever heard that before? Now, now, if you've heard that before, do me a favor. I want you just to raise your hand. I ain't saying you preached it, but I just want us to all see who's heard that before. Raise your hand if that's what, the way you've heard falling from grace. Now, everybody looking around. Now, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. You're monks family. It's okay. Now, look around. That's what the majority of us have been taught. But I want to show you the truth today. Because if we can settle and continue to kind of kick down these religious things that have kind of had us going the wrong way, I think you can walk in the freedom that God has set up for you. I think you can be who he has called you to be. But the first thing you got to do is you got to believe and know that you're okay with him. So let's, let's really get started. So what does it mean to fall from grace? The first question I want you to ask yourself, does falling from grace, does that mean to sin? And to sin habitually over and over again. Well, in order to really answer this question, we have to first start off with what does it mean to be saved? So go with me to Acts 15.1. We're going to hit a couple of scriptures so we can know what it really means to be saved and what it takes, quote unquote, to be saved. Acts 15.1, and uh, we'll hang on to New Living Translation for most of the day. It says, while Paul and Barnabas 
were in Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach who? The believers. So this is some guys who showed up and now they're talking to Christians. Amen? This is Christians, supposedly, talking to Christians. Amen? And they told them, unless you are circumcised as required by the what? Law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, how many guys know this is why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth? Some people will take that and just run with it. See, that's why you got to do. That's why you got to do the law of Moses, and you got to be circumcised. If not, you ain't gonna be saved. Well, how many of you guys know there's a little bit more to the chapter? Amen. So he says, unless you're circumcised, works by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Remember, the pattern of the law is: if I do good, I get good; if I do bad, I get bad. The law is 100% based on I got to do something to be right with God. So anytime, somebody say anytime. And this takes some studying. This takes some rightly divided. But anytime you're hanging out in the New Testament especially, but also in the Old Testament, and you see a if-then, you automatically know that's based on the law. See, this is a struggle for some people because they see some if-thens in Jesus' statements. Y'all hear how quiet y'all got? But you got to remember the dispensation that Jesus was alive under. The, the law had yet to be fulfilled because Jesus hadn't died. Jesus was also on a mission to fulfill the law, but also to show people even more that they needed him. So a lot of times he was teaching people and showing people stuff, saying, listen, you think your good works is going to do it because you don't, do this with your hands or do this with your feet or do this with your mouth. And he was taking an extra step saying, even if you mess up in your mind, you're guilty. So he was helping the religious folk understand that there was no way around this. You're going to need what I'm about to do. So it says, unless you're circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, go to verse 11 real quick. We had a lot of ground to cover. It says, we believe that we are all saved the same way. What's that way? By the, read that with me, undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So Paul said, y'all, they, they came and they were, they were trying to teach that you got to be saved only by doing the law. And he says, listen, we don't believe that. Why? Because Christ fulfilled the law. One scripture says Christ was the end of the law. And so we don't believe we're saved by doing what the law says or by circumcision. We're saved by my undeserved grace that was given to me from God of the Lord Jesus. Are you reading the same thing I am? All right, let's go to Mark 16, 16. How am I saved? Well, by undeserved grace according to that scripture. Mark 16, 16. Anyone who, what's that word? Believes and is baptized will be what? But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Anyone who acts right will be saved. I'm just reading what the word says. 
Now, before your mind just says, turns me off, acting right is a result of salvation, and we'll get to that in a minute. But acting right is not a prerequisite for salvation. I want you to see this process in sequential order. It's not that I act right and then I qualify for salvation. I don't qualify for grace. That's why it's undeserved and unmerited. I said I don't qualify. I can't qualify for what I don't deserve. I'll never qualify for what I don't deserve. That's why I need a deserving Jesus. And as I believe on what he did, he said, I'm giving you what I got. So anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But if you refuse to believe, if you refuse to believe, can I just be real straightforward? That's how you end up in hell. Okay? Are, are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? I even went to Mark and, and to the precious gospels for you. you know, it's, it says, if I refuse to believe, that's how I'm condemned. Let's go to Acts 2.21. I just want to lay this out before you like a case, if you will. Acts 2.21. So how am I saved according to that scripture? Believe. Acts 2.21. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did it say, but everyone who acts right and calls on the name of the Lord? But everyone who goes to church first and joins all the classes and does all the stuff and gives all the money, then you qualify to be saved. Is that what it says? Nah, it just says if you call on them. And I don't know about you, I'm not calling on anyone that I don't believe can help me. It's like, what's that show, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You only call in the lifeline that you believe can help you. If you got a question about physics, how many guys know you're not calling your uncle uh, who, who I, I can't say it that way. <laughs> From your laughter, you get the point. <laughs> I'm going to call my physics teacher, amen. I'm going to call the person that I believe can help me. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's look at this a little deeper. Acts 16, 30 through 36. These are all required. This is, this is what it requires to be saved. We're seeing believe, believe, believe over and over and over again. Acts uh, 16, verse 30, and we're going to go up to 36. It says, then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what does that say? What must I do to be saved? Now what's happening right now is this when Paul and Silas were in prison and that guard was kind of seeing what God can do, and he was like, whoa, your God got power. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So here's Paul himself about to give the requirements. Verse 31. They replied, what's that first word? Believe. believe. In who? There it is. Not believe in the law. Not you got to repent for putting us in prison in the first place. He said, if you want to be saved, believe in what Jesus did. Because what, he, what they're saying, guys, is you're believing that he made you righteous. We got to go one step further than what we've taught all this time and say, believe what he did on the cross. Well, what in the world did he do on the cross? He made you right with God. He made you right with God. 
We, we've, we've spent a lot of time believing in the cross and not paid attention to what the one on the cross did. Praise God for the cross, but don't get it. That's like believing in an electric chair. That's, that was a tool to kill him. But you got to believe in the one on the cross. See, y'all don't like me teaching it this way because I'm, I'm saying he's more important and what he did is more important. That's why we believe on Jesus. I said Jesus. Because he was the sacrifice. The cross wasn't the sacrifice. The cross was the tool that he was sacrificed by, but he is the one who did it for you. I'm just trying to take all this religion out the way so you can get your eyes on him. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Why? Be because he's the one that makes you right. You don't make you right. The law doesn't make you right. Uh, um, the stained glass windows don't make you right. The rosary doesn't make you right. Mary doesn't make you right. It's Jesus. Praise God for Mary. Praise God for the little pretty windows and stuff. But, 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 but Jesus was the sacrifice that set you right with God. And when you believe on him, you can then take on what he made available. That's what the whole I'm giving you my peace is about. But if I don't believe in what he did, I'm not going to be able to receive his peace. I'm not going to be able to receive the assurance that I'm saved. I'm going to keep thinking that there's something I must do because I don't really believe in what he did. I know he's awesome, I know he's amazing, but the question is, is do you really, first of all, know what he did, and then do you believe what he did? Because when I believe what he did, I see that I am not my savior. I see that the law is not my savior. I see that he's my savior, and I believe what he did, and now I can receive the results of that. So what did he do? He made me righteous, and what was the result? I'm now saved. What did he do? He made me righteous. What was the result? Salvation. I had to believe first. And when I believed in what he did, his actions now benefits me, and now I am right with God. He has died for everyone, but not everyone is a receptor of what he's done. Why? Because they don't believe. Your cousin, your auntie, your uncle, the neighbor up the street, the guy smoking crack on the corner, whatever, whatever they are, whatever they're doing, Jesus has made them right. But they don't have access to the results of that, which is salvation, because they have not believed. That's why I'm getting ahead of myself. Our responsibility is to go out there to them and explain to them that despite what they're doing, they have been made the righteousness of God. Now, if you believe this, you can now be saved. There's a ton of people out there sinning, falling apart, thinking that they're wrong with God. Jesus has already made them right. I'm repeating this in many different ways as I can so you can get it. The sinner has been made right, but they don't believe it. So they're not the righteous in the sense of walking in it. 
but they are righteous. God's not looking at them and saying, I need a new sacrifice for your sins. The sacrifice was done once and for all. But until they believe it, it will have no effect in their life. Did you hear what I said? Until they believe it, it won't have an effect. So that's the big deception. The devil is working overtime, making people think because of your bad behavior, you're wrong with God. I'm right with God, not because of what I did. I'm right with God because of what Jesus did. Now, if I can believe that and receive that, I can be saved. And when I'm saved, the Holy Spirit now moves in and becomes Lord of my life. And now he changes me from the inside out. Now the word makes sense to me. Now I can walk in him and now my behavior will change. I'll put the crack pipe down. I'll stay out of the wrong person's bed. I'll do what I'm supposed to do now because I have the ability because of God who is on the inside of me. My changed behavior comes after my changed belief. And we've been teaching this thing backwards this whole time. We've been saying change your behavior and then you'll believe right. That's trying to be like God without God. I get, I'm all ahead of myself. <laughs> they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Along with who? Everyone in your household. Now, now check this out. I don't know what everybody in this guy's household was doing. I don't know what sin existed in this guy's household. I don't know if it was male or female. I don't know if he had Jew and Greek and black folk and Chinese folk and, uh, and, and Hispanic folk. I don't know who all was in his house, but none of that was a condition. Their behavior, their ethnicity, none of that was an issue. Their gender, he didn't say only the men. He didn't say only the women. He didn't say only the black folk. He didn't say only the white folk. He didn't say only this. He said, along with everyone in your house, they can be saved if they believe. Verse 32. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Now, they're in, they in prison. So I don't know if they had a service at the prison or what. <laughs> but somehow the entire family, or the entire household, let me get that right, the entire household came and heard, and they were saved. Verse 33. Even at the at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were what? So they did come to the jail. This, is, this guy is on the job, and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And they told him, and he went and got the family. He got the whole household. Sound like the servants and everybody. Say, y'all come on up here. I can't let y'all out yet, but y'all come on up here. Tell them what you told me. And they dressed up their wounds. And here's Paul and Silas beginning to witness in prison about how to receive your righteousness, about how to be saved. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. Don't matter if they talk about you. Don't matter if they try to uh, uh, get you fired. It don't matter oh, uh, if they hate knowing you. None of that matters. You got a responsibility. You have a job. You have a commission. 
What did Jesus say in 1633? I have overcome the world. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. How many guys know this is trials, this is tribulations? But don't worry, I've overcome the world. Walk in your peace. Verse 34. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and the entire household rejoiced because they all what? Believed God. Show me where they had to act right. Hadn't got to that part yet. Because you can't act right until the Holy Spirit is operating on the inside of you. He's the one that gets you to do right. His fruit is love. You can't act out in love until love has taken over. So the first thing is I got to believe. Believe what? That I'm the righteous of God. And then I'm saved. Now we can talk about my behavior. Verse 35, the next morning the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. Verse 36, so the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. What did those guys have to do to be saved? What did they have to do to be saved? Okay, let's go to Romans 10, 9, and 10. This is one we're all familiar with. Amen. But I wanted to show you those other ones because I wanted to show you, first of all, there's more than one scripture in the Bible that talks about salvation. As we're rightly dividing the word of truth and as we're maturing in God, how many of you guys know we need to study the word to make sure we're not getting off in what we're saying? We've looked at this scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10 for years and, and, and didn't focus on what it actually takes to be saved. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and what? Believe where? In your heart. Now, is that talking about the heart that pumps blood? Blood. No, it's talking about your mind, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Now, why is it important to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Well, when he was raised, that was the end result of the process. He went, he was a sacrifice. And then he's raised up, and what does the Bible say? We were raised with him. And now you're raised with him into a new life. God completed the process. The blood of Jesus did his job. It is finished. Verse 10. For it is by what? Keep reading. In your that you are Stop right there. So it doesn't just tell you it's by believing. It's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Like I said, we've been leaving parts of this out. It's believing in my heart that I'm good with God when I believe in my heart that I'm righteous. That's when I can be saved. If I don't believe I'm righteous and I just believe in Jesus in the sense of this guy who came to earth who is God in the flesh, but I don't believe in what he did, the Bible says I'm still not saved. I'm going to go half behind here. <laughs> Many of us are believing that Jesus existed. We believe that he loves us, but if you don't believe he made you right, you're still missing part of the equation because it is in the belief of your righteousness that you will stop trying to be right with God. 
Am I just telling you what the word says? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's how it happens. I believe that I'm right with God. And now, I definitely will openly declare, I'm saved. The declaration is a result of the belief. I'll say that again. The declaration of salvation is the result of the belief. Because now I'm convinced. Now I'm assured that he did it. It is nothing for me to do. He earned it. I don't have to earn it. And because he earned it and then gave it to me as a gift, there's no way I can mess it up. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. That's, that's what you start realizing. And then you declare what the word of God says. Salvation is not something you should be trying to convince yourself about. You can't be saved unless you're already convinced. You can't be saved unless you already believe. See, not, not, not a soul from World Changes Church Houston's going to end up in hell because we don't know how to be saved. If you leave out of this place and end up in hell, it'd be because that was your choice. I, I, I used to get afraid growing up in church uh, uh, of that thing that talks about, uh, you know, uh, the preacher would say, some people will be in heaven that you didn't know was going to be in heaven, and then other people ain't going to be there that you thought was going to be there. And man, that used to make me scared. Like, I need to do everything I can do to make sure I'm going to be there because I'm supposed to be there. And it was, a, it was a tool the enemy used to try to get me back into works. Whereas God said it very clearly, believe. If you believe that you're the righteous, you're saved. You will be there with the rest of us. So now, now hopefully you're seeing it. It's so important to believe, but not just believe any old thing. Believe in what Jesus did, which was made you right. So, where does my works come into play in all of this? Where have you seen act right just yet? Haven't seen it. Because your actions come as a result of your salvation. But your actions should exist. That was a real weak amen. <laughs> Holiness is still the objective of grace. Grace, his favor, is indeed there. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. I can't unearn it. But if I am truly a believer that I am righteous and Christ lives in me. I have the Holy Ghost. How many of you guys know I can't be that and then make him Lord of my life and not have no fruit? You got a root change. Your root used to be sinner. Now your root is righteous. And it's the root that determines the fruit. So if your root is really righteous, we ought to see some righteous type fruit coming off of you. And your righteousness comes from who God is, and God, according to 1 John 4, 8, doesn't have just love, it said he is love. Your daddy is love. So 
Love is your root, so what should be your fruit? With your cussing self. What should be your fruit? Uh, with your lying self. What should be your fruit? See, and so now as a result, I, I, I start looking at my fruit and see it's not lining up with my root. So then I go to the word and then say, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. And then God says, I got you. I'm going to transform you. But I got to be real that if my fruit ain't lining up with my root, now I got some things to do. That doesn't mean that I'm going to hell. It means I got to get myself lined up. So some of us need a software change. Some of us need a tune-up. You're the righteous. But you got more to do after the cross, so I don't want to see you stuck because you won't be, be uh, honest about your fruit. Let's look at this. So what's our works have to do with this? Um, all right, we got a few minutes to get through this. Go to James 2, uh, 14 through 26. So believers should have good, uh, good works. Believers certainly should have good works. Believers should have good works. But believers aren't made right with God or saved through those good works. I just showed you how you're saved. How are you saved? How are you saved? Believe in what? Jesus did what? Exactly. So he makes, I believe that Jesus makes me right. That's how I'm saved. My good works should exist, but not as a prerequisite or a maintainer of my salvation. Your salvation is settled. Now let's see what good work should be in the life of a Christian. This is how this should be rightly divided. My, my belief led to my righteousness. My righteousness led to my salvation. Now because he's on the inside of me, let's take a look at how I'm supposed to act. John 2, 14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Now look at the subject of this faith. It's for the salvation of others. This is important. Because this is talking about what, what's my works as a believer supposed to be about? The salvation of others, not the salvation of you. We read this all the time and say, see, James said we're supposed to act right. To save others. Somebody say others. Because your salvation is taken care of. But there's a job to do after you get saved. Verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister. Then he gives some examples. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and what? Eat well. But I'm butt naked and hungry. But have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't do what? Give. Here's works. Here's my works. Here's, here's, here's my works as a believer. Give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? So this scripture in context is talking about good works for the believer, but not so you can be saved. It's so that you can minister God's love to other folks because your salvation has been secured in Jesus. Verse 17, so you see, faith by itself 
isn't enough. So he's saying you're talking a good talk, but if God lives on the inside of you, you should be walking this out and ministering to other people. So that's for all the church folk who don't want to go on outreach. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. All that faith and all that religion and all that whatever you got. He said it don't mean nothing if you're not serving the kingdom. It don't mean nothing if you're not taking all this fruit that I gave you and you're just letting it hit the ground and rot. You're supposed to be planted where I plant you because I'm going to put you at a place where people need your fruit. But you're trying to hold on to your fruit or you moved yourself and planted yourself somewhere else and your fruit just hit the ground and rotten. Now, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to show you what your works ought to be. We're so caught up in trying to work to be saved and stay saved that there's a world out there who is dying of hunger and who needs to know that they're clothed in the righteousness of God. It's not a coincidence that he used food and clothes in that example. They're hungry for the body of Christ. They need the blood of Jesus. And they need to be able to receive that they're clothed in his righteousness. And you got the food and the clothes that they need on the inside of you. He said it's dead and useless. Verse 18. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? How can you say you're saved? How can you say God lives on the inside of you and your fruit doesn't line up? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Now, again, don't get it twisted. He's not, he didn't say, I'm going to be saved by my good deeds. That's how we've wrongfully divided that. He's saying, standing, standing on subject and standing in context, he's saying as I'm out there winning souls and reaching out and doing this, that, and the other, I'm doing it in belief that they need what Christ has given me. So I'm showing you that I believe it's in me. What? The righteousness of God. I'm showing you that I believe what Jesus did because I'm taking and sharing what he did for me with others. Verse 19, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. I love this scripture. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. I believe in God. So do demons. The requirement for salvation and righteousness was not to believe in God. It was to believe in what Jesus did, which is that he made you righteous. Ain't no demon going to be sitting up there telling you that you're right with God because that means that that demon's going to be preaching the gospel to you and telling you who you are in Christ. They will say there is a God. Anybody can say there is a God. But do you believe that there was a man who came to this earth who lived right, who fulfilled the covenant, who fulfilled the law, and then he went up on that cross and he died for you, and as a result, your, his blood now covered and washed your sins, and now you're saved, you're right with God. Do you believe that? If you believe that, now you believe. But just to say I believe in God, that ain't enough. 
Young people don't let nobody fool you, making you think they say just because they say giving honor to God. Give honor to God by believing. <laughs> show, 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 show me some of you your belief. Now, real talk, there are some people out there in the world, actors, um, uh, artists, and musicians and stuff like that, they more saved than some of the people in church. Oh, then they have some sin issues that they need to get taken care of. But, but, but man, they sure do be talking about Jesus and what he did for them. See, we don't want to believe that. Okay, let me get back on this. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Verse 20. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Is it useless for you? Is that what it's saying? It's useless for the person that's supposed to be the recipient of God's love. But we've taken this and said, faith without works is dead in my life. No, Christ was the one who saved me. And his works will never be dead in my life. But me living life as a believer, saying that I have faith without going out there and operating in it is useless. Do you see the difference? Okay, verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, somebody may read that and say, wait a minute. It said Abraham believed and it was counted unto him righteous. Well, he takes care of that. Verse 22. You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith, what, complete. I know he believes because of what he did. That's what this is saying. Verse 23, and so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Verse 24, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by just faith alone, because what I do is a result of what I believe. But it's not saying what I do only is indeed all that makes me right with God. My actions are a result of my belief because I just showed you a million scriptures that said it's about you believing. And now I should see your actions as a result of your belief. We got to stop leaving out the belief and just going to the actions because that's making people think that the moment I don't act right, I'm not right with God. I'm right with God because I believe and I will act right because I believe. Verse 25. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent uh, them safely away uh, by a different road. Verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. But again, looking at the whole thing in context, he's talking about ministering to others. And we've taken and made that all about ministry to ourselves, trying to make sure we stay saved. That's not what it's about. I saw this, a buddy of mine posted this on Facebook today, and I thought it was good when it comes to our behavior. It said, belief counseling should always precede behavior counseling. I, I got to be counseling what I'm believing before I try to change what I'm doing. 
we all will do in line with what we believe. If I believe it, I'll do it. I can't say I believe in God and my actions don't line up with his commands. I can't say I believe in God and my actions don't line up with his commands. Remember, we're not talking about salvation. We dealt with righteousness. We've dealt with salvation. Now we're talking about your life after the cross. Now we're talking about your life in the blood. Now we're talking about your life under the covenant of grace. I have to now. That's what all the scriptures were talking about when they were, Jesus was talking about follow my commands. What was his commandment? Love. Follow my command, love. Here comes the works. Love others. Love God as yourself. Love others. Love your neighbor. That's the work part. So as I go beyond the wonderful experience of salvation and look at what am I supposed to do now, now it comes to desiring his will for my life. Again, if you were looking at this thing as sequential order, sequential order, it's believing in what Jesus did so that I can receive the righteousness of God because I'm believing he made me right. And then in believing, I'm saved. By grace, through faith, as it says in Ephesians, what is it, 2, 8, and 9. And now that I'm saved, I need to get in line with his will for my life so I can do the work he's called me to do. Let's look at that. Go with me to Psalms 37, 4 through 7. Are you getting something out of this? Yes. Psalms 37, 4 through 7. We're going to look at this in the easy-to-read version. So I should desire to do his will. He saved me. He made me right. It was all a gift. Now, God, what do you want me to do? Psalms 37, verse 4. Uh, and we're going to look at this in the ERV. Enjoy what? Serving the Lord. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. Enjoy serving the Lord, and he will give you whatever you ask for. King James says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When I make his will my aim, he gives me anything I need to accomplish his will. Think about it as a loving parent that you are. You don't just give your kids anything. You give them whatever they need when they're in line with what you told them to do. I need you to do this because it's going to be beneficial for you. And as long as that child stays on line with that, you give them all the money they need, you give them all the encouragement they need, you give them all the support they need, everything they need, but the moment they step outside of that, it's not that God's mad at you, but there is no provision outside of his will. You're trying to figure out why that thing ain't working, why that relationship ain't working, why that job ain't working, why that thing ain't working. That's not what he told you to do. That's not supposed to be your boyfriend. That ain't supposed to be your girlfriend. Amen. He didn't tell you to get that third job. He told you trust him. And you're wondering why you're frustrated and why things ain't working out. And you're trying to declare you're the righteous and you're trying to do all this, that, and the other. The righteous obey. Oh, see, y'all don't want to hear about the works on this side. And so there's a provision. And even look at that word. Pro for vision. What he sees for your life. Whatever he sees for your life, you'll have all you need for it. That's why it says, enjoy serving the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Get on your mind what he wants. And he'll give you every, he'll give you whatever you ask for. 
Lord, I'm, 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 I'm in the relationship you called me to be in. I got, I got the husband and wife you've told me to have. I'm on the job you told me to have. I'm at the church you told me to be at. I'm out in the field where you told me to be at. I'm doing all that I need you to do, uh, you told me to do. So I pray for peace in my marriage, Lord. I pray for all the finances I need to take care of the home that you blessed me with. Lord, I thank and praise you right now that my kids are blessed. I thank and praise you right now that I walk in your anointing. I, I, can, I can say all that because I'm, I'm in line with his will. So I have a never-ending supply of provision. I'm righteous, I'm saved. But now I want to be successful at godly living in his kingdom. How do I do that? Get what he wants as the director of your mind. Do you see that? Let's keep going. Notice natural perfection as an absolute requirement doesn't exist for righteousness or salvation or provision. It just simply talks about, do I believe, and now am I going to get in line with what he wants? I want to tell you that if there's something lacking in your life, it's not because God's mad at you. It's just that you got to realign your thinking so that you can realign your, your, your position. Everything that you need has been provided. Do you believe that? Let's look at Romans 3.24. We'll get ready to wrap up. I feel like I've given you a lot today, amen? <laughs> now, why is this absolute righteous and stuff, why does this, I mean, these actions that lead to absolute righteous, why does this, the Bible not talk about that? At the end of the day, because righteousness is a gift from God. Your righteousness is a gift. Is that true? Yeah, it's a gift from God. And it's made available by Jesus, not by our works. If Jesus gave me this gift of righteousness, who can take it away? That's a real question. Can your mama take it away? Can your daddy take it away? Can your pastor take it away? Can Satan take it away? Nobody can take it away. Nobody can take it away. Before we go, I... I we're going to look, we'll look at Romans next week. Go to Galatians 5.4. No one can take your righteousness away. So what does it mean to fall from grace? We're ending where we start. What does it mean to fall from grace? Go to the King James first. If nobody can take my righteousness away, then what does it mean to fall from grace? It says, Christ has become of what? No effect unto you. Whoa. After hearing everything I just heard, the last place I want to be or the last position I want to be in life is a position where he has no effect in my life. So I need to know who this is talking to. I need to know if this is talking to me because I don't ever want to find myself in this position. Who is, who is it talking to? Whosoever of you are justified by the law. You or ye are fallen from grace. Who fallen from grace? Anybody who's been justified by the law. Let's look at this in a couple of different versions so you can really see what it means. Go to the Amplified. 
if you seek to be justified and declare righteous and to be given a right standing with God through the law, you are brought to nothing and so separated, severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, from God's gracious favor and unmerited blessing. Let's break that down real quick. If I seek to be justified, so who is this talking to? This is talking to anyone who says, I'm declared righteous by my good works. I'm declared righteous because I kept all the rules, like the rich young ruler did. I've done everything in the law. Now imagine if this pulpit is God's grace. The person who's, who's believing that they're righteous because of what Jesus did is literally trusting in God's grace. They're believing that Jesus is the source of the gift that they have. And as a result, this grace is effective in their life. Now, grace is available to everybody. But for the person who says, I don't believe what Jesus did is enough to make me right, I have to do something more, they are letting go and falling away. It's not that grace moves, you do. Grace is still there. And by the way, if this is where you find yourself at today, grace is right there waiting with open arms. His grace, his gift ain't going nowhere. The thing is, is maybe through bad teaching, maybe through your self-condemnation, maybe through whatever, it's caused you to stop trusting in the rock of your salvation, who is Jesus. And as a result, Christ and what he did for you, what did Christ do for you? He made you righteous. That has no effect. It's not saying that it didn't work. It has no effect in your life because you don't believe it. It's not that it's not effective. Your unbelief makes what he did ineffective. It's like when you turn a light switch off, the power is still flowing to that switch. But if you cut the switch off, you will never see the effect of that power. Grace has made everything available to you, but it's of no effect to you because unbelief is cutting off the switch. The devil can't cut the switch off. People can't cut your switch off. Only you can choose that you're not worthy. Only you can choose that you're unqualified. And when you do that and say, I got to do something to become worthy and become qualified, you switch off the switch of grace and you switch on the switch of self-effort and then you fall away from grace. But the devil wants you to think falling away from grace means you sin so that you can stay in a perpetual state of selfishness trying to get yourself right when you've already been made right by what Jesus did. That's what it means to fall from grace. You're right with God. But the person who believes that there's more to do will spend their entire life here on earth trying to do better, get better, be better. And as a result, that person will never be able to do what James was talking about. That person will look at the person out on the road and say, I understand that you need food, but that's, I, can't, I can't deal with that right now. i got to go to work. 
I understand that you need clothes, but I can't, I can't deal with it. I understand we have 3,500 homeless teenagers in the Cypher area, but I can't do nothing about that right now. Those kids, their mama's got to figure it out. I understand that this is going on overseas, but I can't do that right now. Nothing about it right now. Can I really hit home? I understand that you got a problem in your country, but when you come to my borders, I can't do nothing about that right now. See, I don't want to talk about the real stuff. No, the church. The church, not the government, the church should be sharing the love of God all around this world. But the church is stuck trying to save itself, so we're trying to trust government to do something that government can't do because government don't have the righteousness of God on the inside of them. That is an institution. They don't necessarily have a relationship with God. You got the relationship, so you got the power. And only the power of love on the inside of you is going to solve those problems. You're the righteousness of God. And as a result, you got the power. You're king's kids. Bible says you're heirs of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. Joint heirs with Jesus is what? With this power to do what he was doing, which was bringing everybody to the knowledge of God. Knowledge of what? That you're made right. And because of that, you got power. Now you can speak to the poverty. Now you can speak to the foolishness. Now you can speak to the misunderstanding. Now you can speak to the sickness. Now you can speak to everything. You got it. That's what that power is for. And that's why we call ourselves world changers. Not, 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 not pew changers. He ain't changing nothing sitting in his pew all day. Yeah, no, this, that, that pew is to change the way you think so that you can go out there and change the way you live. Not talking about your sin issue because you don't have a sin issue. It's changed the way you live. I'm talking about your serving issue. Stop looking at the news and, and, and getting all mad and, 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 and tied up because the government ain't doing this or the president ain't doing that or this person ain't doing this. You're the president. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? You got the power of the, on the inside of you. Higher than any president, higher than any king, higher than any queen, higher than any minister, higher than any ambassador. You have Christ on the inside of you. It's time that we start solving the world's issues with the love of Jesus. That one lady, I forgot her name. Oh, she, people made fun of her because she sounded funny when she said it, but she said, this guy won an election through hate, but I'm going to win it through love. And it was so interesting because while, you know, there may be some other issues there, that, that actually is the answer. But I turned on every single station, every news station, all the, the top three ones, and each one of them was making fun of her. That's because the media didn't have a relationship you have. The government doesn't quite have a relationship you have. Guys, this is the only way it works. This is the only way to change the world. 
is by introducing the gospel of grace, but you are the introducers of it. You are the oracles of God. You are the ones who go out and declare. But you got to believe that all is right in your life. Say this with me. I am the righteousness of God. And the only way to fall from grace is for me to walk away. And I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I need you to understand all this week, you're the righteousness of God. And as a result of that, all is well in your life. So, so whenever the enemy tries to present something to you this week, you just say, nope, I'm the righteousness of God. Now, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to be doing. Show me who I'm supposed to be ministering to this week. Show me your call on my life. Begin to become now others-focused. Begin to do what Jesus actually commanded. He wasn't just talking about loving others. If somebody cuss you out, don't cuss them back out. No, he was saying, you go out there and share my love with this world. I'm, I'm like, okay, this must just be your outreach uh, season. So tell me when outreach season going to be up so I can learn how to get, get the money I need to get. No, this is it. This is it. We learn the gospel of grace so we know we good so that we can go out there and share it with somebody else. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Now, I'm not saying we ain't going to fellowship. We ain't going to have a good time. We're going to do all that. It's actually going to be better than ever because now we're going to do it with the, with the freedom, knowing that all is well in our lives. But we will not be a dead church. Amen. What's a dead church? That's a church without works based on what we believe. We're alive and thriving and well. So as your pastor, I'm challenging you and I'm charging you. Find out what is your church doing? Find out what are we involved in that's sharing the love of God to others. And find your place. And plug in. One of the best ways to be reminded that you're the righteousness of God is by serving. There's such a freedom. There's such a power. There's such a, what's the word I'm looking for? Purpose. There's such a purpose that comes with plugging in to where God has called you. It wasn't until I plugged in that all the manifestation of prosperity and all that type of stuff, that's when it started being seen in my life, not when I graduated from Oral Roberts University and, and did all this stuff that I was supposed to do, and, I, and not when I was saved for all these years and living perfectly and right. It wasn't until I said, oh, that's great, but Lord, where do you want me to be at? What do you want me to do? Then all of the stuff. I was about to say showed, I was about to say showed up, but I discovered, because it was already there. I discovered everything I needed. I discovered the wife that God called me to. Glory to God. Amen. Some of y'all looking for him. Some of y'all looking for him, her. They, they right where your purpose is. But you got to make a decision, Lord. Not my will, your will be done. So raise your hands right where you're at. Let me pray over you. Father God, we just thank you right now that your will be done in our life. We thank you that your kingdom come and your love be experienced on this earth. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise that we are your righteous. 
We are not falling from grace because we've made a mistake, but if anything, we're holding on to grace because it is what saves us and makes us right. We believe it and we receive it. And I declare the manifestation of your grace in the life of, in the life of every household under the sound of my voice. Lord, we are careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for the victory in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Well, come on, give God another hand clap of praise. Now it's time to give. Amen. You're not giving as a requirement for righteousness. You're not giving as a requirement for the blessing. You're righteous and blessed if you don't put a penny in that bucket. But when you say, I believe God, and he says, give, the mature believer souls. Because I'm not trusting in the dime of a dollar more than God. Absolutely, it's biblical to tithe. Abraham did it. Absolutely, it's biblical to give an offering. The widow did it. But they all did it in line with honoring God because he had blessed them already, because they trusted him, because they believed more on him. So no guilty given today. We're just going to give trust in God. But what about Malachi? Well, that was written to the children of Israel. I'm sorry, uh, to Jewish folks, the children of Israel who were under the law. Look at Malachi 1.1. It literally says, to the children of Israel. And the reason why that commandment came out in Malachi 3, 9, and 10 is because they had stopped tithing and giving and they were breaking the law. And so the scripture was saying, listen, if y'all don't get back on this law, you're not going to be blessed. But Christ is the end of the law. So you and I don't give under that same understanding. We now give because we're just honoring God, because we love God because we trust God, because we believe in seed time and harvest, and we're going to sow why? Because we love God and we believe his word. Can I be super honest with you right now? But what if I got to pay my light bill and I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I should get it? Pay your light bill. Because if you don't believe that that seed is going to go in the ground and grow, all you're going to do is have your lights cut off. Now, if God tells you to sow that and you believe and trust him, then sow it. But please do not give beyond what you actually believe. We will never be a church that tries to get you to believe pie in the sky in the sense of, well, just, just give it until you believe. No, don't do that. If you believe, sow. I trust God more than a manipulation of your mind. Amen. I believe God more than manipulating your emotions right now and, and getting Tyrone to get up here on the drums and, 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 and Rachel go off on the keyboard and get you so excited that you're just going to give me your whole check. No, you're not giving a dime to me. You're giving to God. And you need to give in line with what he's telling you to do. So believe him, trust him, 
So now when I got a hold of this, I actually started giving more than I did under the, the lawful understanding. But that's because I was giving in line with my belief. And the more he continued to give me revelation, the more I, be, I continued to stay in his purpose, there was actually more money to give. And I never forget, I, I was so and so and so and so on, and I would look at our account like, wait, we should, we should have less, and we kept having more. I never forget, it was, it was like two, three months in a row, somehow I ended up with more money than what came in. I don't think you heard what I said. Somehow, I ended up with more money than the checks that came in. And I said, Melissa, where does money come from? She said, I don't know. But mature believers, so, and God provides. Now, whatever process you're in as it relates to your belief, you give, give at that point of your process. You may not be at this point I'm talking about. That doesn't make you a bad Christian. That doesn't make you a bad person. You might be like, well, I hear you, Pastor. I'm gonna put this five dollars in here, and God bless you. That is absolutely fine, as long as you're giving that five dollars, trusting God, believing God. But I thought you said y'all got bills to pay. We do, but we trust God. So we're gonna keep teaching you about what cheerful giving really is, what giving under grace really is so that you don't go out of here and, you know, and, and, and start beating yourself up. I used to do that, you know, at the end of the offering, you feel like, man, I want to give more, I should have gave more, da, 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 da. No, that's the enemy trying to get you in self-effort. You give whatever's on your heart to give, and then you just say, now God, to God be the glory. Amen? So let's take those offerings. If you're giving by text, you can use your phone. Father, we just thank and praise you. As we sow, we sow just in love. And we believe, Lord, that we're already blessed. And so I just continue to stand in agreement with your word for the manifestation of blessing in every household. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory out and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ushers, you may serve the people as you, if you're in this room and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to hurry up and come down to the front. Or maybe you say, I am saved, but uh, I haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If that's you, come down to the front. And number three, if you are looking for a good church home, I can't think of any better place than this place if God called you here. If God called you to this church, this is the best church in Texas for you. Amen? So uh, if, if that's if that's what you want to do, then I want you to hurry up and come down to the front. We're going to pray with and for you and get you out of here on today. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet. Go ahead and minister to those who are around you. Turn to your left, right, front, and behind. Ask them if they need prayer on any one of those three things. If they would say yes, then help them come down to the front. If they're good to go, then give me a thumbs up, and we'll go ahead and pray and get you out of here. Let's go ahead and uh, minister to those who are around us real quick. Like we're all good in the house. Amen. <laughs> Come on, let's give God a clap of praise. Y'all know we love y'all, right? Pastor Melissa and I love y'all so much, man. We're praying for y'all. And we just thank you for the opportunity to pastor you and to serve you. Uh, don't forget, if you need um, a Christian advisement or prayer for stuff throughout the week, 
office is open Monday through Friday, uh, nine to, uh, what is it, 9 to 4, 9 to 5, something like that. Reach out to us. Let us serve you in that way too. Amen? Amen. Well, go ahead and raise your hands and be prepared to be dismissed. Father God, I thank and praise you right now as we leave from this place. We go in your grace. We are your righteous. We are your children. And I declare and decree peace over each and every life. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the Almighty God. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. We welcome your counsel, Holy Spirit. We'll be careful, Lord, to thank you for these things all this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. You are dismissed.